Morning, everybody. Am I on? I'm on, yes. Morning, everyone. Hope you're well. Wasn't sure whether you're clapping for me there or clapping for Anna. I don't know. I, I say it's clapping for my wife, Anna. It's, uh, she deserves a clap for just being married to me. And uh, uh, we will be on that, uh, on that course as well. Although we're sort of hosting, we're definitely learning as, uh, as we go. Now the children are out. I'm hoping that there's no one in the room or watching online who is sitting there feeling sick for eating too much chocolate. But you're never sure, because Dennis O'Sullivan's here. Did you eat too much chocolate, Dennis? No, not yet, not yet. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, hopefully you're not. Sticking, though, with the much-loved subject of food. Who here has roast lamb, or lamb at least, to look forward to this morning? Oh, more than I was expecting, actually. It's very expensive at the moment, lamb. Very expensive. Okay, but even if you haven't got lamb to look forward to this morning, and uh, sorry for the vegetarians and uh, vegans in the room. Sorry about uh, this. Just uh, bear with me in grace for a moment. Um, Who here likes their lamb more well done? If you would put your hand up. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say boo, but you could. <laughs> okay. Uh, who here likes a lamb a little pinker when it's cooked? Okay, majority likes it that way. Yes, yes, very tasty. My message this morning is that his blood saves life. That's Jesus' blood, in case you're confused on that. But do you know that in the UK, over seven 160,000 people gave blood in 2021. And actually, that's down a little bit, partly due to the pandemic, partly they're trying to generate ways to get more people to give blood as well. It's estimated that from one blood donation, that three lives are saved or dramatically improved by that donation. So that means that over two million people's lives were potentially saved just through people giving a little bit of their 10 pints of blood that each of us on average has. No wonder the NHS came up with that slogan to uh, give blood, save a life, or giving blood saves lives, and variations of that theme to encourage people to do it, as it does. Because if you lose more than 40% of your blood, then death quickly follows. Also, if you lose just more than 15, 1-5% of your blood, then actually your body starts to get into serious problems. So it's no wonder that the Bible speaks of the life of something being in the blood, in Leviticus, the life of a person or an animal. It's also why, actually, in the Bible and many other uh, ancient documents, that the Giving uh, the shedding of blood is used as a euphemism for the taking of life, for, for murder. And sadly, we all too readily see that, don't we, around the world today through wars, the, the war in Ukraine being a shocking reminder to us of the state of the world that we live in, and we all feel horrified and, and slightly confused over that. But it's not just on a a national level either, is it? It's on a local level. We see in our news gang-related death. We see in our news just even through the selfish and cruel actions of individuals that uh, lives are lost that way. 
And before we just sort of continue down that track of pointing out those terrible people out there that do terrible things, and they are terrible, Jesus Christ makes it clear that God's perfect vision goes right the way through our flesh into the thoughts and the motives of your heart and my heart as well as everyone else. Actions done through the body start off as thoughts and motives of the heart. And they're clearly displayed before God all of the time. Adultery starts as lustful thoughts. Murder starts as hate and angry thoughts in people's hearts. Matthew, 20, Matthew 5, 21 to 30 make clear to us. We won't read that now. All of these things spring up, the Bible says, from the evil within our own heart. And if we nurture those feelings, or if we choose not to give the death blow to them as they rise up in our heart, what happens is our conscience gets desensitized, and therefore we're much more likely to end up doing those things. It's why God warned um, Cain in the book of Genesis when he allowed hatred to grow in his heart towards his own brother, his younger brother. God said to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Its desire is to dominate you. That's what it means. Don't dominate your life. But you must rule over it. And of course, we all know that Cain chose not to listen to God there and ended up killing his brother. The first recorded murder in the Bible and most likely the first recorded murder, the first murder in human history. Now, I'm not saying that any of you in this room, I'm not accusing any of you in this room that you're going to go and uh, uh, murder somebody. But what I am saying, my point of making this uh, of, of emphasizing this is that sin is crouching at the door of our heart, of your heart and of my heart, all of the time. Sin, put simply, is doing what God has told us not to do, including things like hating and lusting. And they're all visible before God, our actions, our words, and our thoughts as well. You know, we've all done things, actually, that we are ashamed of. And uh, we hope other people don't find out, or if they do, we feel embarrassed of them. In fact, we've all said things that are even worse, too. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who've had that experience where you've said something, and then someone else has found out that you said it, and you're embarrassed about the fact that you said that. Or have ever had that thing where you're just feeling grumpy and you're just a bit moody and then you, you've said something that you know hurts somebody else and the damage is done in their life. And of course Jesus makes it clear in the passage that I've quoted that God sees beyond that, to our, beyond our actions and words, to our thoughts and motives of the heart. And we all have had thoughts and entertained thoughts from time to time that are darker still, that we're glad that other people don't know about, that they're hidden in our heart, but they're not hidden before God. Any 
honest assessment of your life and of my life makes it clear that actually sin is always crouching at the door of our heart. And of course, in truth, the greatest sin that all of us have done and do do from time to time, and the root cause actually of all the other sins that we do against other people, and even for some people in this room and maybe somebody watching as well, the sins that you do against yourself and the hurting of your body. The root cause of all these things is because of our sin against our creator, the wrong that we do against God, the one who made us, the one who gave us this wonderful world that we're ruining, ruining around us, the one who holds your very next breath in his hands. Imagine someone... Um, paid for you to go on a really expensive holiday. And you just picture that in your mind, whatever that looks like, whether that's skiing somewhere, whether that's in a nice hot country, whether that's on an island, whatever that looks like. The only reason, just imagine this, the only reason you're there is because of their kindness and their goodness to you. How bad would it be then if you just completely ignored them the whole time. Worse than that, you did things that they'd ask you not to do. And worse than that, the other guests that they invited along, you were rude to and you mistreated. Now that would be bad by anybody's standard, wouldn't it? And you wouldn't expect to get invited again on a holiday by that person if that's how you behaved. And yet many people, that's how they treat God with their life, the one who gave them their life. And you see, the truth is, sin, when we give in to sin, when we do sin, it stains our life. Like oil on a white t-shirt, or like paint on the floor, as you can uh, uh, see behind me, it stains. And it's not just our clothes and, th and that particular environment, because it's done through our body, it's on our hands, and therefore whatever we touch, is also stained by that sin as well. It's why the prophet Isaiah laments in Isaiah 64. He says, We have all become like one who is unclean. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Our sin doesn't just stain our life. It has power over our life. It takes us away, takes us down a certain path. Just like malaria, uh, like a malaria parasite can overpower the body's defense system. When we give in to sin, it overpowers our life. And all of us have given in to it. Jesus said this in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Now, personally, I've actually had malaria uh, before, and I can tell you it's not very nice. I'm uh, uh, ha quite a healthy person. My immune system's quite good. It can defeat uh, a lot of uh, things. However, there was nothing in myself that could beat malaria. And if left untreated, 
the only outcome of a Plasmodium falciparum malaria infection, which is the type of malaria that I had, is death. It's the only outcome of it if left untreated. And likewise, the only outcome of our sin, the Bible is clear, is death. The wages of our sin is death, according to Scripture. Death physically and eternally as well, separated from God and all his goodness. Because God being righteous, God being holy, God being good and true, he cannot have sin in his presence. And why should he either? Which is actually, in one sense, I suppose, it's quite good news in that all those terrible people that we talked about earlier that do terrible things, they will face the justice of heaven, if not in this, uh, we'll face justice, if not in this life, in the age to come. As the Pope uh, made clear to Putin in one of his messages to him, that actually no one escapes the justice of heaven. But it also means that none of us will either. Because none of us, as I've made clear, and as the gospel message makes clear, is good enough for God on our own. We all need help. We all need God's cleaning. We all need delivering, delivering from our sin. We all need the antidote and the power over sin that only comes through Jesus Christ. And my friends, that's the glorious message of Easter. That's what we've been singing about. That's what we've been celebrating. That's what many of us, if not most of us in the room, have already come to realize that Easter is God's answer to the conundrum that as righteous judge, he has to punish sin wherever he sees it in word, in deed, and in thought. But also, he's a loving Father that wants reconciliation with you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to be able to say over you personally, yes, over his people, but over you personally, that you are my people and I will be your God. He wants that personal relationship with you. My friends, Jesus' blood saves lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, chose to come into this world. The only person to exist before he was conceived. Chose to be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin as we celebrate at Christmas time. He lived a perfect life, never sinning, tempted in every way. Just like you and I get tempted, sometimes we give in, sometimes we resist. Jesus never gave in to sin. He was sinless. And yet he chose to go to that cross, which we remembered on Friday, on Good Friday, and hopefully remember every day. But uh, he chose to go to that cross, to die on that cross, the death of a criminal, so that he could take on himself the punishment for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of the world The Bible makes clear. So God's punishment and wrath against those things could be poured out on him. So that all who look to Jesus, who put their trust in him, who put their faith 
in him can be forgiven, can be set free. The same Holy Spirit who convicts you and makes you aware of your need to Jesus and points you to him, the moment that you turn to Jesus and say, yes, I, I surrender my life to you, Lord, he comes and he makes his home in you. He makes you born again, the Bible says, so that you become a child of God. You approach God as Father. You're free from your sin and you're free to know God. The Spirit gives you the power to live for God. He gives sin the death blow in your life, although it does limp on in our life and we have to keep, uh, as it's dying, we have to keep ignoring it. God's Spirit transforms us to want to please God. He gives us that new heart to want to please him because he's getting us ready for eternity. And that's the glorious Easter hope that we have been celebrating this morning. And as a sign that God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf and on my behalf, and because death had no hold on the sinless Son of God, he rose again victorious Easter Sunday morning as he said he was. Yes, you can whoop at that. That's a, a good one to, to whoop at. My friends, after he rose, he didn't just appear to those disciples. The Bible says at one time he appeared to over 500 people at once at the same time. So no mass hallucination there. My friends, Jesus has the power to set you free from slavery to sin. To go from being an object of wrath to a child of God, as we were singing about earlier. Jesus actually has the very best for you in this life and in the next. The Bible says Jesus with him is life and life in all its fullness. Fullness of life for you. With him is true joy. With him is true peace. With him is a hope that goes beyond the grave. He wants to help you through the difficulties of this life. And actually, if you choose to follow Jesus, it's quite clear you will face more difficulties because you have chosen him. You'll face difficulties on his behalf. But he will strengthen you when you're weak. He will pick you up when you're low. He will be with you in the hard times and wants to rejoice with you in the good as well. The Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is at work in your life the moment that you believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not your power. It's not searching for some inner strength that's down there. It's not searching for the hero inside yourself. It's drawing upon the power of the Holy Spirit, which God so richly gives to all who bend the knee to Jesus. Jesus' blood has saved billions of lives from sin and death, giving them the sure and certain hope of eternal life on a renewed and a perfected world where there will be no sin. Hallelujah. There's over 2 billion people today that would claim to be Christians, not including all the people going through the ages as well. So Jesus' blood has saved billions of lives from sin and death death. But in order for you to go to that age to come, that perfect and renewed world, in order for you to be there, you have to let Jesus deal with your sin 
in this present time, in the present age that we are in. Otherwise, he will judge you for your sin when he returns. You see, sin, as I said earlier, is always punished by God. There's no getting away with things before an all-knowing God because he knows everything. The clue's in the name all-knowing. He knows everything about you. The only question is not whether sin will get punished or not. It's that who will receive the punishment. It's either the person who committed the sins, i.e. you and me, or Jesus on our behalf. The question is whether you've surrendered to him, as I know many of you have already. But if you haven't, and if, as I've been speaking and as we've been singing this morning, you've realized, actually, I need that hope for myself. I need to bow the knee to Jesus afresh. You may, you may have uh, done it uh, when you were younger and you know you've walked away from Jesus. And you're thinking, actually, I need to surrender my life afresh this Easter Sunday morning. Then just pray this prayer in your heart along with me. And you can do it at home as well if you're watching online. If I just ask you to, to bow your heads. Just pray this prayer in your heart. God, as I said, knows what you're thinking. So just pray this prayer of surrender to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me for all the things I've done that offend you. And through the power of your spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, make me your child and help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer and you're in the building, please come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to uh, speak with you and you can grab one of these leaflets on the way out. If you're watching online, please contact the office. We'd love to help you go on in your Christian journey and uh, and discover all the things that God has for you. Because he's got great things for you to do if you choose to follow him. And one of the things that Christ encourages, not encourages, tells us to do. One of the first things we're called to do as as believers is to be baptized as a sign of what God has done in your lives, what Christ has done in your heart. It's a public declaration of a spiritual reality of what God has done in your life. There's nothing special about that water over there. We've not uh, prayed a special blessing on the water or it's just water from, from the tap that you would uh, drink normally or make a cup of tea with or something uh, like that or wash with. But it's a physical action representing a spiritual reality that has happened. That's why it's sometimes referred to as a sacrament. The act of baptism is special The water's not, but the act of baptism is special because it's done out of obedience to Jesus Christ, what he commands of us. And because of what it symbolizes, what it symbolizes is is that just as Christ died and was buried and rose again, we are identifying ourselves with Jesus, saying we're, we're one with him, and that we are going to die to our old way of living. Our old self, if you like, living for ourselves is buried And then we're going to live a new 
life for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what that represents. So when we baptize people in the water, we only baptize people who have already given their life to Jesus, and we ask just two questions of them. The first one being that they're checking that they've given their lives to Jesus. Well, it's not checking. We already know the answer. But it's so that you, so publicly, they can declare, yes, I've given my life to Jesus. And yes, it's my desire to serve him for the rest of my life. That's the two questions we ask. Have you given your life to Jesus? And is it your desire to serve him with the rest of your life? So we're going to do that in a moment. I'm going to invite the worship team, actually, to come back up uh, now. And what, can I invite those people who are getting baptized or going in the water with them to go and get yourselves ready uh, whilst we sing this next song and then we will uh, go and baptize people over there. So um, can I invite you to stand? I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand back over to Chris. Lord Jesus, thank you that you you love us, Lord God. Thank you that you love us enough to die on that cross to save us. And Lord Jesus, I just pray, Father, I just I thank you for those that have given their life to you this morning, Lord Jesus. And Lord, for those here that have known you, Lord God, I just pray, would you uh, just pour afresh your Holy Spirit on each one of us, even those that have just made that response. Lord, would you just pour out your love? You say in your word about knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge, the height, the breadth, the depth and length of, of your love. May we know it. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would just all experience afresh something of your love. Holy Spirit, thank you that you love us so intently. And I just pray, come and move amongst us as we worship you, as we praise you, as we go on to do these acts of obedience to your word, I just pray, would there be that wonderful sense of heaven coming upon us? And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.